Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've already, I know we've already, we already, we've already shit all over that. Out, so, yeah. So <laughs> let's, let's figure you got, it. You've got, we got something to work with. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. A place where pop culture creatives discover design icons that make us tick. And we share a few cocktails in the process. Yep. Today in the world, the conversation is all about movie logos. There have been many, many iconic movies whose logos are firmly imprinted on pop culture. And we're excited to be discussing a couple of our favorites. So grab that bowl of popcorn, throw a bit more vodka in that extra-large icy you just bought, and settle in for another conversation with us as we stroll back into the bar. Uh, Elliot, do you like movies about gladiators? What about, what about logos of movies about gladiators? <laughs> um, <laughs> Todd, uh... Are you asking me then about I, that? Narrows it down, in my opinion, to three movies in no particular order. Of course, there's Gladiator, right. then there's uh, like Ben Hur, and then of yeah. course there's Airplane, the the gold standard of movies about uh, both humor and gladiators. I guess of which all way. movies of which all movies are judged against from now on. That's right. From from this <laughs> day forward. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting, um, Elliot, is what we have is the kind of marketing stuff that comes ahead of movies, um, posters, logos, uh, the hype that helps to drive the, the big box office open weekend. And then, you know, maybe the movie lives up to it, maybe it doesn't. But you got to admit, there's some, there's some great movie logos out there that have really driven people to watch the movie. Okay, you've piqued my curiosity. It sounds like you have something in mind. I have a movie logo. Well, I went down a big old rabbit hole. So I have a movie logo. Uh, so an actual quote from a New York Times review said the film didn't fulfill the promise of the promotional material. But I absolutely love this movie. And I love all things about old Hollywood, like Hollywood lore. And this movie fits right in. And you're never going to guess what the movie is. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Okay, ouch. What? Well, I- so it sounds like you're saying I would never guess it because you assume I have never seen it. You may have, but it's it's not a very popular movie. But let me describe a little bit about what I'm thinking here. Go so for it. it. It's it's a period piece. Um, it is around the late 30s. 
uh, the logo as well as the poster as well as the movie design has a cool sort of art deco feel and and it is like totally totally tied up in art deco mm. you cannot get away from it so is the it's movie not wait wait wait, wait uh, hold on a second so was the movie made in the 30s or was it a set when you said it's a period piece do you mean it yeah, was set no, the, in the movie was made in the 90s oh okay and okay i'll give you some i'll give you a couple clues here all, all right, right. Let's, let's we'll play a round of questions for this all right the movie was made in early 90s and it was a release by disney it wasn't an animated movie oh okay and it was about a superhero that wasn't a marvel character yeah this was way before yeah and it wasn't Superman, of course. No, no. It takes place in sort of Art Deco period. Late 30s. Well, involves, it wasn't, involves Nazis. Well, it wasn't Captain America because that was made later. No. Okay. It takes place in Hollywood. Way in Hollywood. Hold on. Hold on. I might be zeroing in on this. I okay. think you and I saw this movie together, actually. <laughs> we may. I really okay. do. Okay. So, was Howard Hughes in this movie at all? Like a um, Howard Hughes character? Not not the corpse of Howard Hughes, no, because he was gone by then, but a character, yeah. So, so yeah. So, so, you're saying it wasn't Weekend at Bernie's? No, it wasn't Weekend at Bernie's, no. Uh, <laughs> okay. And I, I'm not crazy about that logo in particular. <laughs> A classic movie in its own right, nonetheless. That's right. That's right. Well, let's see. So, Art Deco, set in the 30s, Nazis. In Hollywood. Oh, in Hollywood. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, this, and, and it's Disney. And it's, yeah. okay. I think, it, was it, and it, you said it was based on a comic book, right? Because that's superhero. So, it was like, wasn't a superhero. Disney yep. invented it. existed prior to that. Right. Based on a comic book. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll just tell you. Okay. The Rocketeer. Oh. Do you remember the movie? I love The Rocketeer. I love I it. I love this movie. Yes. Yeah. I love this movie. So uh, I dug into a little bit of the history of uh, the the marketing of it, the logo, which I love. It's just, it just reeks of art deco cleanliness uh, and the poster design. And then, you know, I, I went back and really dug into the movie itself and uh, found out some interesting bits about it and uh, was kind of going down a whole bunch of rabbit holes. How about you? <laughs> what, what, about my movie or about the Rocketeer? <laughs> <laughs> no, about the rabbit holes, dumbass. Oh, no. oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Geez, Talk about your, no, tell me. I want to no, hear about a movie that you might have brought to the table today. Okay, well... Um, <laughs> mine is less about the poster. Mm -hmm. I don't think the poster was like in terms of famous movie posters. There's nothing to write home about with a. Well, that's not entirely true. You know, one of the things that's tough about movie posters at times, especially today, they'll come out with posters sort of after the fact. And it's mm -hmm. almost like when stuff gets re-released on video and things like this. But as far as I know, the original poster was very, very simple. In fact, it was so simple, it was only three colors, black, hmm. white, mm -hmm. and red. All mm -hmm. right. Now I'm going to give you a couple hints. And my guess the is... What? The Shining. The Shining. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, black but, but, 
you know you know what you're not too far off and i'll tell you why because there definitely was some uh extra extra sensory some uh some spectral activity maybe from uh, another dimension or that uh-huh. sort of thing but let me uh-huh. let me give you another couple of hints okay all right released in 1984 okay like spring yeah. summer 84 i think it was june of 84 yeah. maybe and the poster really just had a two color logo on it hmm mhm okay, okay so the poster was just a logo yes I think it might okay. have had the name of the movie under it. But well, it was yeah, basically okay. just a logo. Logo's only two colors. Yeah. And uh, and that was basically it. But I guarantee not only have you seen this movie multiple times, you could probably from memory draw the logo for it or at least come pretty darn oh, close. Oh, oh okay, okay. Uh, was it a hit movie? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, all right. So would someone today still know it? 100%. Unlike the Rocketeer. Um, okay. <laughs> Red and black only. Jeez. Um, was it a horror movie? It was sort of a horror comedy science oh. fiction movie. It sounds horrible uh-huh. on paper, uh-huh. but it's a brilliant, brilliant movie. Okay. Wait, Wha- wait, wait. Uh-oh. Wait. Uh-oh. Wait. Uh-oh, sports wait. fans. Okay. Was there a giant marshmallow man in the movie? You know what? I think you may have just figured it out. Ah, love Ghostbusters. Yes. 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 What a great movie. What a great logo. Yeah, you're right. Many people would recognize that, and uh, many people are wearing uh, clothing with that on it today. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump in and talk about The Rocketeer, because I brought a hit movie to the table. You brought sort of a cult favorite sleeper movie to the table, but a, a beautiful, beautiful movie, a very well done and underappreciated movie. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, so let's jump in and let's hear all about The Rocketeer. I love Hollywood lore. Um, I love stuff that happened in the 20th century that made history. And this movie... The Rocketeer, which is based on some characters by an artist named Dave Stevens, who created the comic book of the same name. And it seems that Dave had this fascination with Betty Page, like the pinup queen. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the Rocketeer comic book was made in 1981, and it was like true to style, like kind of the pulp style. Mm-hmm. Um, of movie serials and adventures and things like that. And it was meant as kind of an homage to Betty Page. The, the story in the movie takes place in 1938, Los Angeles. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to give you too many spoilers, but come on, it's a 30-year-old movie anyway. So, <laughs> you know, good on you. It's the story of a stunt pilot named Cliff Secord. He happens to stumble upon a jetpack, which, come on, I mean, that's the name of the movie, so you kind of figured that. And then there's a whole lot of cool shit that happens, and he flies around, and ultimately he uses this jetpack and this new power that he has to battle the Nazis in old-time Hollywood. And I think uh, a former James Bond plays the head Nazi in Hollywood, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Timothy Dalton. Actually, Timothy Dalton was playing James Bond at the time he did this movie. 
So there's a coda to the story that if we have time, I'll tell you a little bit more about. But okay, we're talking about the marketing stuff for movies. We're not reviewing movies today, although we've already decided we both love both of these movies. Now, the thing about The Rocketeer, though, is it has since become a cult classic, and it just drips of Art Deco nostalgia. And I, as well as you, Elliot, we both love this movie. But unfortunately, uh, not a lot of people saw it. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so this begs a, you know, just one question that's kind of hanging around in the back of my head. Even 30 years ago, pre-streaming, uh, pre-internet and all this stuff, Disney was a marketing juggernaut. You know, they oh, had yeah. their amusement yeah. parks. They Every animated film they released was a, a smash hit, it seemed like. So what happened... I mean, if Disney made this, it's based on... Now, granted, it's not a, a mainstream comic book, right? Mm-hmm, you know, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, it's a more, um, a little bit more of a cult-following comic book. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. what, like in your research... Why did, did, it, why did it fail so badly? Yeah, what did Disney not market it well? Did people think it was one thing and they saw it and it was something else? Like, like how did this break down? Partially. There's two things there. So let me just give you the numbers real quick so you have a context of, of how badly it did do. It only made $47 million at the box office after costing $40 million to make. So, you know, that $7 million profit for Disney was like, what, a coffee break for everybody maybe? <laughs> and um, that's, so that's global, right? That's yeah, not... yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay, so you ask a great question. Like, why? What happened? Because clearly the movie's a good movie and it's very well done. And of course, the poster and the logo is great too. So, unfortunately, it happened to open for the big summer blockbuster weekend that also saw a couple other movies, like one being Terminator 2, mm. um, released at the same time. So, um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I know one of your all-time favorite movies also, <laughs> was released at that same weekend. Now, I, I think it's probably a race to the bottom to see which movie did worse, Robin Hood or <laughs> The Rocketeer. But nonetheless, Terminator 2. And if you remember Terminator 2, um, this was when they had the morphing technology that was really new and fresh and big. So, yes. it had the molten-looking um, Terminators, yes. which you know made a bazillion dollars. So, anyway, it didn't fly, and partially due to what I love about it, which is the poster. The poster, if you haven't seen it, it's a painting, like an airbrush painting. It certainly looks Art Deco. Uh, It's faceted. It is the Rocketeer kind of zooming diagonally across the poster. Um, It's just beautiful, just gorgeous. Unfortunately, the Rocketeer is wearing a helmet, so you don't know who it is, um, and didn't matter. The the guy starring as um, Cliff Secord anyway was kind of a newbie actor. He was sort of the uh, he was kind of the Brendan Fraser of his day, if I remember. It was yeah, kind of like yeah, his yeah. his breakout role, like Brendan Fraser in the Mummy. Yeah, yeah. But as you said, like the movie had Timothy Dalton in it had a couple other stars in it so they actually redid the poster later to see if that would draw a little bit more uh attention to put the characters in there that particular poster just falls apart but anywho 
that's part <laughs> of it. And as I said in the opening part, the marketing was so good and the film flopped so much, a review in the New York Times that actually the film didn't fulfill the promise of the marketing material. You know, the other thing I wonder is when you're talking about Terminator 2 versus The Rocketeer, you sort of have this idea of, if you're like a high school kid, say, do you want to see a movie about future-based technology that's awesome and on the cutting edge, to your point, the liquid Terminator, Mm -hmm, made mm -hmm. from like mercury or chrome or whatever? Or do you want to see this throwback homage to 50 years ago during an era that, as far as you were concerned, as like a, a high school kid, which I was at the time, couldn't have been like more uncool, right? That was yeah, when your grandparents yeah. were alive. Those were the good old days, right? <laughs> so, and there's even another little, yeah, supposedly, um, there's even another wrinkle that might be one of the biggest wrinkles that led to people, not many people seeing The Rocketeer. The original comic book, the Dave Stevens comic book, as I said, was kind of a, an homage to Betty Page and pinup girls. Oh, yeah. Well, when Disney decided that it was going to be released under the Disney brand and not Touchstone brand, there goes all that stuff. Right. So the thing that made the comic book popular was gone. The director, whose name is Joe Johnston, fought disney tooth and nail to keep all of this stuff this magic that was in the comic book and they said nope 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 again love the movie but you end up with this kind of sweet uh almost milk toast picture of a sweet time um but it was not really the taste of the time and that i thought is what made it really cool and it stood out it, it felt very of its time in the sense of uh, Timothy Dalton's character was sort of this like Errol Flynn style villain. Yeah, yeah. I felt like, like if I were to watch it today, I I think I did see it in the theater, and I certainly have seen it subsequently many times since. And it certainly has this golden age of Hollywood charm, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think at the end of the day, probably the screenwriters and the director and stuff like that kind of said, okay, well. You know, in the golden age of Hollywood, there was you would you would probably remember this, but there was basically like a standards uh, group or board. I forget what it was right, called, but right. something was like standards board. and practices. Yes, and so basically, it was this thing where, like, ostensibly, it was against communism. You know, and making mm-hmm. sure that there weren't communist uh, themes or overtures in mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. right? Because they were so influential at the time, but also that. You know, it was kind of a precursor to the MPAA, right? Because movies at the time didn't really have ratings, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that what these guys were doing is if, okay, you have to cut out the Betty Page pinup stuff, kind of the, uh, not irreverent exactly, but maybe for Disney, somewhat unsavory or kind of the underbelly of Hollywood during that time. Right, right. You know, I think they kind of said, okay, well... If we're going to make a family-friendly movie, if it's going to have, to your point, the Disney nameplate on it, mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. let's go for that. So even though Timothy Dalton shows up, I just remember he was sort of the cad, right? Very similar right, to Billy right. Zane's character in Titanic. He was the guy who, the the girl at some point, if I remember, falls for him, and then she finds out he really is not the person that she thought he was. And, you know, it's just, it's very... Don't spoil it. Oh, Don't sorry, spoil sorry, it, sorry, man. Sorry, everybody. 
again. Aren't you? Wait, aren't you the one who said it's a thirty-year-old movie I, and you haven't seen it? Yeah, tough? yeah, yeah. Jeez, and, <laughs> jeez. So, so, step off. Uh, I want to say one more thing about the creation of the logos and posters and stuff that went along with this, and then I want to hear about what you found out with Ghostbusters. Sure. Um, here's the thing. So I started doing research on all of the players. Obviously, it it was a Disney movie. There's plenty of talent in the Disney stable to create the marketing materials. As you said, it was a, they are a marketing juggernaut. The logo itself, which I love, again, because it's just straight-up Art Deco, it's based on this typeface plaza, uh, which everybody knows. Uh, it was designed by a British type designer, Alan Meeks. We'll put a link on the site. He's done crazy number of other very cool, recognizable display typefaces. So it uses that. It's really spaced out, and there are lightning bolts in the leg of the R and the cross bars of the E. Now, the illustration was done by a guy named John Mattis, who did a lot of Hollywood illustrations, and um, great job. And IMDB says the art director, who I would guess may have done the logo, is a guy named John Alvin, which is a name I hadn't heard before, but since I love Hollywood lore so much, I dug into it, and this guy is the OG poster maker, Elliot. Do, really? do you know the name John Alvin? I don't. Okay. Let me name a few of the movies and see if you've ever seen some of these movies. Uh, Blazing Saddles? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Young Frankenstein? Mm-hmm. The Lion King? Yeah, I've heard something e. about that one. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lost Boys, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Blade Runner. This dude is got the cred. So again, I only saw it. He did the Blade on... Runner poster. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah. I, now I only saw this on IMDb, um, and I couldn't verify it. So that very well may be wrong. But do you know what I love about it. this though, Todd? Knowing you, what? knowing Wikipedia and your love for one another, you yes. will verify this for us. I will I will verify, and there's a link to John Alvin's site so you can see all of his great work out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm digging the first Ugh. Hey, Todd, where did all this popcorn come from? Why is the floor so sticky? It's me. And why are they selling hot dogs behind the bar for $10 a piece? Yeah, it's like a movie theater in here. Tell you what, Todd, let's make sure our Netflix accounts are all paid up and meet back here at the bar in just a few minutes. Sounds good. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Starting back soon.
Hi, while we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers. Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode, our episode archive, and information about both of us. Wait, we do want people to visit, right? Oh, and look for us on social media. You can find those links on our website as well. And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling, tell him or her what we're up to. While we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the link to. That's being a little shameless. And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us. In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. Are we done? We're done. We're done. All right, so enough about the logo for Rocketeer. There's another interesting thing that I came across, but I'll bring that back up later if we have time. Tell me about the logo for Ghostbusters. Okay, so much like you, when I started to dig into this logo, I realized I hit pay dirt, not just typical Hollywood pay dirt, but general pop culture. Not Joe Dirt. No, no, no. I don't think this guy, if this guy was smart, he had nothing to do with Joe Dirt. (laughs) (laughs) Although I know that's one of your favorite movies. I do love Joe Dirt. Yeah. Okay. But please continue. So I'm sure everyone knows what Ghostbusters is. I'm not talking about the compromised 1989 Ghostbusters 2 sequel. I'm not talking about the 2016 reboot. I'm not talking about the 2020, now 2021 Paul Rudd vehicle that will at some point come out. I You're am talking about the OG Ghostbusters. Yes, the 1984, I was 11 years old, but managed to get people to take me to the movie theater three different times that summer to see it, Ghostbusters. Wow. I loved Ghostbusters. Loved it, yeah. loved yeah. it. Loved, I still love it today. Actually, <laughs> I love it so much, I, uh, I bought the DVD twice, forgetting I already owned it. <laughs> <laughs> you got so excited the second time. I did. You so said... <laughs> maybe if you're nice to me, I'll mail one to you. Ooh, nice. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I love the Ghostbusters logo. I remember seeing the trailer for it on TV at the mm-hmm. movie theater. And um, of course, the logo just made it great. That was probably... You know, prior to that, there were posters like you were talking about that certainly were famous, like the Jaws poster, arguably is one of the most famous posters, right? right then you kind right. of had, you know, some of the Star Wars Star posters, Wars, yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark, of course, things like that. You know, Raiders of the Lost Ark with its cool sort of receding in space, gradient filled, hand lettered type, you know, yeah, that's all like, yeah. So, yeah, so amazing, illustrative posters and logos that you could stare at for a long time and see little things into them uh that was like that kind of classic hollywood style a lot of the stars faces were on the poster design the illustration 
And that's not what Ghostbusters was at all. No, <laughs> no, no. I think it probably did what it did for a couple reasons. So I want to talk about the poster real quick, and then I want to get into the you know the logo and a little bit about the movie itself because this is one of the cool things where it's very meta in the sense that the logo appears several times in the movie right like mm -hmm, like the ghostbusters mm -hmm. it's the logo for the movie but it's also the logo for the business <laughs> yeah marketing genius but but it, what, it didn't genius. feel forced you know what i mean no, it was it, it, it had a place in the movie yeah 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 totally worked so it was a marketing vehicle but it was also a prop little bit of background on the movie so I think probably the reason why the poster was so simple, it like I said earlier, it was simply black background, red and white logo. The logo is, of course, a circle with a slash through it and a cartoon ghost kind of with both his hands and his head looking in one direction and kind of protruding out of it, right? So he's mm -hmm. scared. The slash is going from, if you think of a clock face, two o'clock to eight o'clock. And it's just brilliantly simple. And I remember this was in the days you didn't really buy video cassettes. Start to rent them in the mid 80s. I know this is gonna be mm -hmm, hard mm -hmm. for some younger listeners to understand, but if you wanted to buy a video cassette, at that time it was still considered really the property of the studio. I remember mm -hmm. just to provide some context, my family loved and still loves the movie A Christmas Story. And we decided, mm -hmm. after renting it a bunch of times from a local video store, we wanted to buy it. And the store was stumped. They didn't know exactly how they would do that, how they would sell a <laughs> copy to us. So they called up the studio or the distributor or whatever, ordered a copy for us. And this is, keep in mind, this isn't like the early, mid-80s. We paid yeah. something. My family paid like over a hundred dollars for a VHS Jeez. tape of a Christmas like, store. You have like Ralphie come to your house and, and deliver it you or know, something since, with since, the fragile since, lamp. Since we lived in Cleveland and it was filmed in Cleveland, he should have for that yeah, amount of money. Easily. We, Easily. Or, or we should have at least gotten it with a free leg lamp or something. But anyway, <laughs> we're already getting off track here. So the movie itself. As I mentioned earlier, it's sort of this comedy action horror mashup film. Sounds horrible on paper, but um, it was Dan Aykroyd's baby. The plot, of course, a trio of parapsychologists get kicked out of some anonymous college in New York City, and right. they decide they want to form a business to capture ghosts. Right. So this was the first comedic movie to use complex special effects. Up until this point, you know, again, going back to, for example, Jaws or Star Wars, it was always these adventure movies. You know, yeah. comedies were kind of like, you know, whatever, The Jerk, Revenge of the Nerds or something, or Animal House, Caddyshack. Yeah, this used an early stage of computer graphics, which kind of blew people away because these ghost things were kind of lifelike. It, yeah, it used a lot of like puppets and puppetry and all these uh, other sorts uh -huh, of things. Uh -huh. And um, so it was a lot of like, yeah, some in-camera stuff, some on-set stuff, uh, complex matte paintings. When you think about the scenes at the top of the apartment building and the temple mm -hmm. getting zapped with the proton packs and, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. That was very, very complex for a comedy. Mm -hmm. So this was originally developed by Dan Aykroyd for he and John Belushi before John Belushi passed away. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then okay. Winston Zedmore was originally supposed to be played by Eddie Murphy. Oh, okay. So Bill Murray steps in after 
John Belushi passed away. And then the original script was crazy. They were supposed to almost like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. They were going to like travel through time and they were going to battle ghosts across time and do all this stuff. Like apparently Dan Aykroyd had this fixation with the the paranormal and like I guess he comes by an honest like his parents and his grandparents or something were also known for having uh, these fixations so for his buddy he decided to kind of turn this into a movie and then later he had to drive Miss Daisy <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> he was also I think she was a ghost yeah she well yeah yeah Man, I don't, Todd, you need to have more respect for the dead. Okay, I know, I know, sorry. That's That was a dead end joke. You need to continue. <laughs> <laughs> dead end joke, I see what you did hey, there. Uh, okay, basically he rewrote the script so it could be turned into a real movie production, right? Even with the special effects that were used in the final movie, they were still far less complex, I guess, than what he originally wanted to do. So basically, you know, Bill Murray coming in, John Belushi, again, I love uh, Animal House. I love the Blues Brothers, but I cannot imagine Ghostbusters without Pete Venkman being played by Bill Murray, right? Yeah, of course. He is that guy. So an effects-laden movie. So as a result of this, I think that they didn't really know what the final art or what these effects would look like. Later, they kind of named the Green Ghost Slimer because... There's the scene where, you know, he slimed me, that kind of thing in the hotel. That was later for a cartoon and all this kind of stuff. The ghosts didn't have names or anything like this. So there wasn't any sort of signature character or anything like this. And I think they were still trying to figure it out. So it's sort of like, well, what can we put out there that will be noticeable and kind of cut through it and give people something to remember? So boom, big, simple logo that was just a very, very quick read, and it works. Yeah. And like I said, it then later appears in the movie. It appears on the side of their, uh, you know, Cadillac ambulance, the, the ectomobile, right? Right, right. It appears on the patches on the shoulders of their uniforms. It appears on a beautiful sign, and I, I want to know where this two-sided illuminated sign is because I absolutely love it that was hanging over the fire station door in the original movie. It was very meta in the sense it was both on the poster, you know, in real life for the people seeing it, but then it also existed Mm -hmm. in the universe of Ghostbusters itself, right? So Mm. who did this logo? That was one thing that I wondered because I've been drawing it for whatever, 30 years. We will post on our website there are youtube tutorials about how to draw the ghostbusters logo oh wow (laughs) yeah it's really really crazy who did this thing so i want to read uh an excerpt from the obit of the artist who drew it because he passed away a few years ago i want to read this great description in the new york times about the logo and then we can get into the sort of creation story of the logo itself okay okay So the logo designer was a guy named Michael C. Gross. So he was an artist and a movie producer. So here's from the obit. The Ghostbusters logo, a blobby white figure bursting from a red universal no sign, came about when the film's producers wanted to print a teaser poster at a time when the studio had not yet secured the rights to the name. Mm -hmm. Mr. Gross, an art director, 
and associate producer on the film, worked with one of his artists, Brent Boats, to generate an image that would get the idea of the film across without actually using a title. <laughs> so oh, not wow. only did they not have the visuals, but they didn't even know if they were going to be able to call it Ghostbusters, right? Clever. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into Michael C. Gross a little bit. Yeah, I don't know the name. Tell me, was he known as a producer or was he known as an art director or a designer? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's the easy. Good. That's Good. the easy. Any other? Yeah. Well, okay. I guess we're done with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let me just tell you a little bit about this guy. And we will post a link to the obit on our webpage for this episode because. This guy, yes, he's definitely an unsung hero, both of the design world and the movie world. Okay, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. just to give you a little bit. So, Todd, have you ever heard of uh, a little magazine called National Lampoon? Yeah, yeah, of course. So he was the art director for National oh, Lampoon. no way! Yeah, yeah. Oh, have you ever heard okay. of uh, a couple little magazines called Cosmopolitan and Esquire? Uh, yeah, yeah, right up in line with National Lampoon. Almost as good. Yep, yep. Not quite as funny. But uh, he worked as a designer at both of those as well. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Uh, how did he get from magazine design to movies? He went to Pratt in Brooklyn and then graduated with a degree in commercial art. Started to bounce around, and among the other things he did, in addition to working for some of these well-known magazines, is he actually with a friend from Pratt who was working for the Mexico City Olympics, the 68 Olympics, mm -hmm. he um, was asked to design a poster for a cultural event. So a few years out of school, right, this guy's working at some noteworthy magazines. He uh, worked for the Olympics, but really, really started to hit his stride with National Lampoon. He helped them figure out that the best parodies work when the design looks like legitimate versions of what's being parodied. So think oh, about yeah. What, yeah. what you and I both love. The yeah. Onion, Mad yeah. Magazine, Spy Magazine, all of yeah. these things. Think about fake postage stamps, goofy mm -hmm. menus, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, yearbooks, right? You know, the famous yearbooks, which they're part of the reason National Lampoon's Animal House is National Lampoon's Animal House is it's sort of based on these memories that these guys, the writers had from when they were at Harvard or wherever, yeah. right? Because it was the yeah. Harvard Lampoon, then they left and it became National Lampoon. He also, after he left National Lampoon, he started a firm in New York in 1974. Some of mm -hmm. his clients were, of course, National Lampoon Magazine, but also Mobile Oil, Jim Henson of Muppets mm -hmm. fame and Sesame right. Street fame. Right. And John Lennon and Yoko Ono. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my. So. I never see that group of people hanging out <laughs> together. Well, I'm not sure they were all there at the same time. Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, he got the bug and he wanted to go to Hollywood. You know, I'm sure he knew some people out there, met some people, you know, with some of the work he did. So, mm -hmm. he hit the West Coast, produced several movies, and more interestingly, designed... Okay, are you ready? Wait for okay. it. Yeah. All right. Okay. National Lampoon's Vacation. You ready? Yeah. yeah he yeah. designed the Deluxe Family Truckster and the Wally World Moose for National oh, Lampoon's Vacation. How cool. <laughs> and he did it without cool. credit. So 
his logos have probably been on more clothing than a lot of other <laughs> designers. Because you know they're selling Wally World apparel out there, too. Yeah. I mean, just how incredible is this? So, That's you so know, th this guy, he designed all of these different logos, these sort of faux logos that subsequently got out there into the real world. Now, yeah, yeah. Um, what's great about this, though, is I think... And this is just me talking, but going back to his National Lampoon experience and some of the parody things that we were just talking about, mm -hmm. I think that served his logos well when he was designing them as movie props because they come from a place of believability. Right, he already right. knew what worked, and so you could sort of reverse engineer it. And then in the sense of the snake eating its own tail these logos for these made-up things that were patterned after real things then became real things in their own right and went back out into the world. Right, right. Huh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, I'm hopeful. Do we have enough time to get into your back pocket story? Well, let's do this. We've never done this before. Let's finish this episode now, and then we'll pick back up with a part B later. Hmm. So what you're saying is, basically, is that we're getting kicked out of another place together? Yep, once again. I didn't even hear last call. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know how it goes. We don't have to go home, but we can't stay here. Yep. Hey, not the first time I've heard that. Look, I'm grabbing a handful of peanuts for the road. Tell you what, when we get back together, let's revisit what makes these logos work, and we'll get into some more Hollywood lore. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading. reading! Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show, or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.